one to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 121. Recording this on Tuesday, the 9th of December 2014. I'm Steve Litchfield. With me, uh, Mr. Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello, everybody. It's time for another AWP podcast. Got a lot of uh, news and a few tips and app recommendations to get through this week. Absolutely. Uh, let's start off with uh, new here updates, uh, for, including Drive Plus and Transit. It's kind of caught us by surprise, but I guess the, the here team, uh, not um, <laughs> part of the Microsoft's, definitely split off and part of the Nokia group. That's Nokia as has nothing to do with Microsoft group um, and operating independently and presumably developing software and uh, across all platforms, including the web itself. And uh, now we've got Drive Plus is free for all countries, which I, as I understand, it means that Anybody with any device running Windows Phone can now run run full real-time voice navigation, which I guess is a very, very good thing, Rafe. It is, and uh, the distinction really here is that you'll be able to do it outside your home market. The difference between Drive and Drive Plus was the geographic coverage of uh, the, the app. So there were, I think it tended to be mid-tier and low-end devices had here Drive. That was also what was available to non-Nokia or other non-Lumia devices. And that was just tended to be limited to a single country. So when you went abroad, if you wanted to upgrade it, you needed to uh, pay for an additional navigation license. That, of course, will no longer be the case. Worth probably noting that there were 18 new countries that got voice guided navigation um, everywhere from Angola to Iraq to Mauritius and Nepal, uh, St. Helena, although that, that strikes me as rather an easy place to navigate around. <laughs> but, uh, also Suriname, Zambia and Zimbabwe. So that means there's now a total of 118 navigable countries which is pretty impressive and i I think uh that's going to cover an awful lot of holiday destinations still missing some notable countries i think japan is the one that often gets talked about uh but yeah it's you know a great deal for windows phone users whatever device you happen to be on even if you've managed to pick up a a 49 dollar windows phone device you'll actually get uh, effectively free sat nav worldwide and a lot cheaper than buying a standalone uh gps navigation device so Really good news. Interestingly, that th- this has come from here. There was talk at one point that maybe the Here apps would get handed off to Microsoft to, to, for the continuing maintenance. As far as we know, that's not the case. This is uh, something that's come from here. I do wonder if these uh, updates have maybe started coming out because some finalization of an agreement over who's going to do maintenance, who's going to do continued app development has taken place. It does feel like they've sort of suited sorted things out it's been you know quite some time since we've seen any significant here updates and uh, to my mind this is a pretty big one steve absolutely is it am i being too cynical in saying or suggesting perhaps that uh, because almost no one ever paid for drive 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 plus navigation outside their own home market presumably almost no one paid for it it was costing them a lot more to maintain the the purchase system than the money they got from people actually buying so they thought well heck it's cheaper for us just to make it free for everybody. Well, I think, yes, it's glass half full, glass half empty stuff, Steve. Um, I, I can't imagine that there were that many people updating, but we might be surprised uh, with this kind of thing. Not surprisingly, there hasn't been any release of stats about it, and you can't really interpret anything from the various Nokia results. They don't break it down in that finer level of detail. But I, I do suspect you're right that the number of upgrading will probably be in the low ten, tens of thousands, um, maybe more than that. It's actually quite difficult to speculate. If you if you sort of do the calculations, we don't really know how many people regularly use uh, the Here apps on the Windows Phone devices anyway. And so, you know, doing any back-of-the-envelope calculation is going to be difficult. But, yeah, I think that's probably uh, a fair comment. And, I mean, part of the reason they, they kind of split this off in the first place was, I suspect, about 
um, recognizing the revenue. And what I mean by that is here, Drive and Maps all has a kind of a licensing cost associated for it, for the map and the navigation data and services, as well as the traffic and everything like that. Of course, when it all belonged to Nokia, um, they were charging themselves. And so it was less of a concern. But even then, for the low-cost devices, by having this here drive kind of light version, if you like, they could say, well, that's actually going to be a cost to us of 2 or $3 a unit, whereas Drive Plus might have been $5. And in fact, those figures were a lot smaller. It's more like half a dollar or a dollar or something like that on top of the cost of the device. And so in their internal accounting, obviously, those costs get passed back and forth between the divisions. Um, I suspect it's become less of an issue or Microsoft has gone, you know, I, we don't want to maintain that kind of thing. Or perhaps here has taken the decision, actually, we're, we're happy to do that kind of as a a lost leader it's two separate companies that that whole calculation of mass and how that you know recognizing the value in different places has changed and it could well be down to the fact that microsoft uh, as part of the acquisition of nokia's device and services division actually signed kind of a different type of license with here and it was sort of ability to build stuff on top of it and sort of more than just a simple licensing deal we don't know really the details of that, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if part of the terms of that license were to use it on all Windows phone devices with no cost difference between something like Drive and Drive yeah. Plus. Uh, and maybe something similar would apply to Transit as well. Um, and so uh, it's probably taken a while for those changes to work their way through. You know, it's not that long since the deal completed. And so I, I would suspect that would be the driving factor behind this rather than sort of a cost saving from not having to run a, a kind of purchasing server. Because, of course, they may still need that for some of their other customers. And I don't think it's the end of uh, kind of additional services or data potentially being charged for in, in here maps. I just think kind of the basic expected minimum of what you get has changed now if for example one of the services that um, here is working on is having information from car parks and saying whether car park spaces are available and so doing intelligent routing about that that's probably something that a lot of people might be willing to pay as an update for a you know in-app payment and add-on so don't be surprised if we see the return of kind of additional services and a charge for them at some point in the future and particularly if we sort of get into maybe some of the 3d mapping and some of the stuff that's coming out of the collection that's now going on around you know very accurate mapping and you know there, there's a lot more potential still there so, so i just think that minimum expectation has changed and so you know the willingness for people to pay for you know something they expect to get included is maybe change the calculus on on this kind of thing as well yeah. yeah now now this noise that's me um sandpapering the nokia logo off all my phones because uh <laughs> it, it seems the, the the nokia name continues to go away just, to, just linking into that here story um uh, they're saying that the nokia account support within um the here map suite which is very important really because it's got all my favorites built up over quite a few years now um the nokia account's going away but don't fret because there's a, a server based migration tool basically when you start up this new version of here maps that was launched today and uh, it will offer you the chance to sign in usually preferably with facebook in my case that's like use that for my disposable accounts as it were uh, things which i'm are me but i'm not too fussed if someone hacks into it at some point in the future um you can of course create an, uh, a proper here login as well uh, and then it will take over the migration and it will basically email you back 
after the server-side batch process or whatever it is is actually completed. In my case, it was about a minute or so, but I can imagine that uh, if you had hundreds of favorites, it might take about 10 minutes. Um, and that all seems to work quite smoothly. smoothly. So in theory, Rafe, um, once people have done this, they're then free of the um, Nokia account system and they're good to go for another two or three years on Windows Phone with the here maps and all their favorites. Yes, that's true, although it's probably worth pointing out that the Nokia account is used in a couple of other places. Uh, Mixed Radio is one of them, for example, although I understand that they're also transitioning away to their own identity system or will be in, in due course. Um, I think the uh, suspicious among the audience might go, well, maybe here's doing this so they can cut all ties from Nokia and potentially be spun off in the future. I think I was probably reading a bit too much into it, but obviously there's less of a reason for a Nokia account system to exist now, so it kind of makes sense to have it all under one branding, have it all controlled yourself. There, there isn't actually kind of an ancillary benefit really to a Nokia account. All of the services that use it are gradually being shut down or going away. I mean, something like uh, Nokia Beta Labs was another one of them. Um, and it was also used to sign in to various other Nokia services, some of which have been retired or some of which have disappeared altogether um, in the recent past. And so, yeah, I think it kind of makes sense. And I'm just glad that they actually did think about the fact that people did have you know, valuable data in their favourites, didn't want to have to set it up again. So there is a migration tool. Part of me sort of bemoans the fact this can't happen automatically and why didn't they just transition everything over it feels like there's a bit too much of a a manual process going on here the fact i have to wait and let a server-side process do it all is, is kind of annoying you know how how difficult would it be to uh continue supporting the nokia account i i guess i can see the uh the benefits of the simplicity but sort of grumpy rafe puts his hat on and complains about this sort of thing you know why make me work for what feels like something that's a bit unnecessary but uh clearly it does it does make things easier going forward both in terms of you know what's this nokia account doing what's that got to do with the here brand um and so i think it's been made quite obvious in the recent kind of nokia investor relations day that here is going to be maintained as a separate brand it's not going to be connected to nokia in part because they want to sort of play that kind of neutral card they want to be a horizontal player with here maps available on multiple platforms we've seen it go onto android i don't think it'll be any surprise when it appears on ios and so it's being used across many different web properties and so having a, that here brand as strong as possible with the accounts as part of that does make sense I still think it's a slightly silly name, but I'm prepared to be convinced as we go forward. Maybe, maybe it'll be an old friend by the end of 2015. Um, moving on, Office Lens. We need to keep these news stories fairly snappy, Rafe, because we've got a fairly meaty last uh, controversial topic to come to. Um, Office Lens has got business card support, which uh, isn't actually listed if you look in some of the um, descriptions and the opening wizard for the application. But actually on the menu now, it, in the document modes, along with... Uh, uh, presentations and word files and so forth um, is business cards and it works really really well I tried it on a couple of my cards it grabbed every single uh, data data field and it got every single matchup of each data type and, and field type perfectly even though the cards were in, in you know completely different orders it handled the graphics and the lighting perfectly and all the data then gets uh, OCR'd on server side again in this case on the OneDrive server um, and offered as a VCF file, uh, a vCard format. So it just appears as, as the icon BizCard in your OneDrive, and then you can tap on it to download it. <laughs> it's like standing very manual and long-winded. <laughs> and it opens up in the People application, and then, then you can import it into your Windows Phone contacts. Now you may say, well, why couldn't Office Lens just put it straight into contacts? I guess it's all to do with the sandboxing of data, Rafe, and they also the fact that if you go by the OneDrive server, then you've got a backup of whatever you just scanned, scanned and a backup of the person's details. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there are some third-party applications that do something similar to this, but it does seem that Office Lens a bit more reliable I and mean, it's built on top of the Microsoft technology. And honestly, I think there's a lot to be said for having it go into OneNote. It's kind of one of those logical places to keep it. And if you're a big OneNote user, you'll, you think, yeah, it's great. That's where I would keep all my business cards. For everyone else, a more automatic process might be desirable. But I think most of the time, you're just going to be scanning one or two business cards at a time, and it's good to get it in. And obviously, the benefit of using something like the VCF format is if you do use OneNote on another device, it also makes it very easy to get it into that device as well. And obviously, it depends on the amount of cloud syncing that you're doing with your contact database, whether that would happen automatically anyway. But I rather like the use of what's essentially open standards and sort of having it backed up to the cloud, having it in one note where you can go and view it. And uh, it's a much harder technical challenge to solve getting all the fields right and doing the recognition there. Um, it, it may seem that business cards can't vary all that much and they might not look like it to humans because they're all basically rectangular pieces of cardboard. But actually, there, there can be significant variation recognising the right field and putting it in the right place. And um, I was also impressed with this. So it's sort of a thumbs up. I was kind of surprised that a little bit more didn't get made of it. But uh, I think Office Lens is one of those apps, once you discover it, it's rather fantastic if you're doing trying to transfer any type of document into the kind of the digital realm. And I use it frequently for kind of grabbing articles or um, bits of paper I've been sent or press releases, something like that, which I don't have in a digital form. And rather than have to keep the article or the bit of paper around, I can just simply scan it in, get it into uh, OneDrive very quickly. And then if I just want the image, I can keep that. But actually, I, I tend to... Um, put it into OneNote and have a, a lot of data sitting in there. So yeah, thumbs up from me as well. Yeah. And just to clarify, I misspoke in the original setup for that. It is actually OneNote, not OneDrive, although I could weasel my way out of it, Rafe, by saying that the OneDrive and OneNote all sit on the same Microsoft server cloud, probably. And I'm sure everyone assumed that when you went to OneDrive, you were talking about the option that you can also convert the files to Word or PowerPoint and have them saved to OneDrive. Oh, yes. The well-rescued, Ray. Well-rescued. <laughs> There's also been another developer preview update. This is Windows Phone 8.1 Update 1, as it's now called. And we thought, kind of thought the developer preview was all done. And the next thing we'd be seeing was the official rollout of Lumia Denim. Lumia Denim patently hasn't happened yet, but it is still, quote, imminent. <laughs> but there's been another developer preview update. Uh, this time enabling the uh, what I call eFigs Cortana. eFigs is an acronym I used to use back in the days when I was a developer, standing for, obviously for English, uh, England, France, Italy, Germany, and Spain. And in those countries, you can now get Cortana as an alpha. It's not, not every single response is covered, but you can at least play with Cortana if you're on the developer preview update. So do go and play with that. If indeed we have any non-English uh, speakers <laughs> listening in those countries listening to this podcast, it also added in the update of note was the fact that you can now add mobile data as a toggle to your um, action center toolbar if you like i know on most of the devices i've got i've only got four slots but i think on the 1520 you've got five or six race so i'm presuming mobile data is a pretty useful toggle to have for you uh, it, it is. Uh, I'd say it becomes most useful when you're roaming or when you're on a kind of limited data tariff for some reason, uh, because obviously you can switch it on and off for kind of those critical moments, uh, because otherwise, if you're, say, in a roaming country, you have to go into the mobile data settings and say, yeah, no roaming or yes to roaming. And obviously, this is a quick way to, to turn it on and off and make sure that's working. Yeah. I've certainly been in situations where I would kind of be quite happy to switch off mobile data the other time it gets you know useful is if you're finding that you're in an area where the 
uh, the data is just on the edge of 2G or 3G and it's using up a lot of battery, potentially at least you could uh, sort this out or at least partly save your battery by turning it off. I think that's going to be too much of a manual process for most people. But it's been interesting that these quick actions have gradually been added to. Um, I think it was some some uh, the, a previous developer, previous update saw some added. I'm just trying to remember desperately which one it was. Um, I want to say that it was something like quiet hours, but uh, anyway, yes, it's a, a nice thing to have. And as you say, this was just another kind of slightly unexpected developer preview update. It's probably worth saying, of course, that Denim is the Lumia specific, as it was the Nokia specific uh, software enhancements. And actually, there's the underlying Windows Phone platform, which is what is being updated with the developer preview. So you won't yeah. get Denim through the developer preview. And in fact, uh, Denim is going to really sit on top of what may even be an earlier version of Windows Phone than the one that's available through the developer preview. But I think it's probably safe to say that that uh, Denim update will be quite happy living on any version that's over a certain uh, number and so even if you're upgrading on the developer preview you should still get the denim update at some point it's kind of the it, it, it's not quite this simple but it's the difference between the operating system software and the, the firmware software i think it's probably more accurate to refer to as a device or manufacturer specific software and that's you know going to bring all the sort of additional enablers for some of the things we've been talking around uh nokia camera sorry i should say lumia camera now <laughs> and, soon <laughs> you know yes indeed and you know, a, a number of other updates to kind of imaging applications. I think there's a few other uh, specific bits that we'll we'll see as well. But yes, you know, something of a surprise, kind of a, a small one. And I have to admit, I was a, a little bit confounded by what Steve meant by eFig. So I'm glad he's explained it to me. <laughs> I'm showing my age. Maybe that acronym's fallen out of use, but I've just resurrected it for the Windows Phone site. Anyway, um, now something we use a lot around the uh, All About Sites offices, or at least we used to do when we had a slightly fuller staff, <laughs> was the virtual office uh, enabled by Skype group instant messaging. So uh, obviously I'm sure many other businesses and uh, organizations around the world do the same thing. Uh, numerous people are all on the same same chat session and you call natural way kind of a, a a poor man's internet if you like um the one big down downer on that on windows phone was that the the resumption of group messaging instant messaging was actually very slow and lots of resuming dot dot dots on windows phone it was one of the worst um speed problems on skype that has now been improved rather a lot um, there's an update in the last few days so do go and update your copy of skype on windows phone certainly on the older processors the uh, the s4 based processors it's faster it was already getting to a usable state on the the x100 series processors that's the snapdragon 400 and 800 so all around rafe i would say that skype is gradually getting a, a pass from me and it's I, i'd almost say that skype is more usable now on my windows phone than it is on my desktop whether what that says about the state of the desktop skype i don't know but um i'm really enjoying skype on on, on windows phone now and quite often when a call comes in or a message comes in it comes in first on on the phone so i'm going to give this a cautious thumbs up yeah, I've noticed a similar thing in the performance terms in that my phone, especially if I've been using it recently or I'm actually using it when the call comes in, it will quite often be ahead of the desktop by a, a second or so. I mean, I'm sure there's a big technical explanation for why that is. Mm -hmm. you, know, the, you know, for any of these kind of applications, which was where performance and particularly the resume time when you're doing something like a group chat is really important. Um, it's great to see these kind of improvements. And one of the nice things is it seems to be working well, not just on the high-end devices, but it also seems to be pretty good on the low-end devices. And so it's not just a question of, you know, using the extra resources that are available on those faster devices. It's, you know, it's been well-engineered. Uh, it 
does feel like it's been a long, long time in coming because I think Skype was one of those things that was held out as a, a unique thing for Windows Phone. It would you know, you'd get your best Skype experience on Windows Phone, and that was never really borne out by reality. It always felt like the iOS and the Android clients were uh, ahead. Now I think that's that's less true. You know, you're getting more of the functionality, but also it's the performance and the integration. And I think you could make an argument that Skype works best on the Windows Phone devices, particularly if you're regularly doing the calls, because as, as people who used it will know, it comes up with the same caller screen. And, and as far as you're concerned, it's all integrated. And of course, there is that ability to hand off into video mode, which I have to say, I haven't used very much personally, but I was talking to someone who was raving about it the other day and just saying you know, they, they might start off a call with family and then switch to video, knowing that that was all going to be for free. And they yeah. they thought it was a, a fantastic piece of value and said, you know, they were using it even if they weren't particularly interested in the video. It was just, you know, they could do a reliable call, know that it would go through. If not, they'd leave a message or whatever. And then by mutual agreement, switch over to Skype. Now, that obviously works both best when you've both got Windows phone devices, but they were actually describing to me how they were using it with grandparents. And actually, the grandparents had a an iPad, I think it was, and we're switching over to using Skype on that, having used the landline to answer the call in the first place. So you know, kind of an interesting insight into how people are kind of hopping between the different communication channels because it's being presented as an easy choice in the user interface. You know, it, that kind of handover, which is still obviously a manual process, it seemed to be one of those future dreams that would never, never appear in reality. And although it's really still not handing over, it's still a manual process. The fact they've made it easy to do by just making it a single button press actually is quite impressive. And uh, I think probably Microsoft deserve a bit more credit for that than they've got so far. Yes, indeed. Well, it's a great theory. In practice, what happens when I, I do a Skype video call with my grand, my parents, my daughter's grandparents, is that we see the top of my dad's head and the left a shoulder of my mum because neither of them can work out how to stare at a webcam. <laughs> so, but the theory is the good. Um, uh, just, just briefly, a couple of third-party apps before we move on. Um, I want to just give a shout-out. I, I did a kind of full review of Stickman Soccer. Now, I am not a football fan. I really am not a football fan, and yet this game absolutely sucked me in because the games are short. There's no chance to get bored, and the control system is so wonderfully interactive and intuitive. And I'm wondering, A, whether you'd played this this particular game, Rafe, and also, B, whether you had an application of your own that you just wanted to highlight or push to our listenership. Uh, I, I haven't. I haven't had a chance to play Stickman Soccer, but clearly having the Steve Seal approval means everyone's going to <laughs> off and download it and i'm included yeah. in that group um the one i would pick out uh, i kind of want to talk about it in a couple of ways is the bbc sport application which came available on windows yeah. phone this week uh, highlighted just because it's a big name especially for uk users but actually if you're interested in keeping up with uk sport in general and a bit of an international flavor as well you know you're going to welcome this kind of application if you're a bit of an anglophile or following english football teams really it is just a simple web wrapper in one sense but it's sort of an advance on the usual web view because it does have a, a live tile support it, it does have a menu that makes it very easy to switch between the sections but in effect it is still loading the bbc sport website into a, a web view that's how it works it's the same way that they do the bbc sport application on other platforms so it isn't really a, a strike against windows phone i was sort of quite impressed by this is this something that's better than just going to the website Maybe I think on Windows Phone, actually, there's less of an advantage because you cannot to have a, a live tile stuck to the home screen to sort of quickly go to a website and it feels just like an app. Um, and what you're getting, I suppose, the extra benefit here is kind of having a quick navigation menu. Does that make a big difference to me? Probably not. But there is, of course, the whole discovery thing. The fact it's an app and some people prefer communicating through an app. 
But of course, the reason they've done that is to kind of keep some of the development costs down. So I think it's just interesting as a way of presenting content in general on a smartphone. And honestly, it's not that much inferior to what a you know a fully featured app might feel like because of course that still needs to download load content over the web and so those kind of performance issues yeah. especially when you're on a 3g 4g device you know it, it, it's interesting a few years ago i said absolutely it needs to be an app but i sort of get the feeling for these content heavy applications you know delivering news you know it doesn't necessarily have to be an app you need to be doing something more and you know the I think the Bing News app is an example of it, where they're ab- aggregating several sources together, and that's kind of where the value is. But if it's just a single instance, do, do WebView-based apps work just as well? Yes, uh, I, I think they do, or at least they get a lot of the value there. And obviously, as far as the people creating them, it, it's the idea being is that they cost less to do. So interesting one, and also just want to highlight it because it is kind of a big-name app arriving on Windows Phone. Um, I, I hope the BBC News app follows in due course. Yeah. Absolutely, and I fully agree with that. Uh, I was intending to cover BBC Sport on the site this week, so I shall make sure I include a few of those comments just so I can sound as clever as Rafe. Um, no, um, just two two features I've written. One I wanted to cover briefly, and then one possibly in more detail. Um, any uh, feedback or comments, Rafe, on benchmarking the various generations of Lumias? I There was a utility launched during the week, GFX Bench, as it sounds, gra- graphics benchmark, uh, designed for other platforms, but it's now been ported to Windows Phone. Because it's a really heavy-duty uh, graphics utility, it doesn't actually run on a lot of the lower-spec Windows phones, for example, with the 512 megabytes of RAM. But on uh, there's certainly a good number of devices I have here that it would run on, so I ran some benchmarks and did some tests. Com- rather unsurprisingly, um, the, the Lumia 8, uh, 930, which is the highest spec device I tested, was quite a way better in terms of graphics and all the different uh, metrics are there in the article than the uh, the Snapdragon 400 and the Snapdragon S4-based devices like 925, 920 and the 830. What the most interesting uh, data point, really, and the reason I did the article is I wanted to do put figures to my gut feel that the Lumia 830 and 735 with the Snapdragon 400, 1.2 gigahertz, were roughly the same speed in terms of performance um, as the old Lumia 929, 225 and 1020 based on the Snapdragon S4. So in other words, the, the, the new mid-range devices had roughly the same performance as last year's flagships. And I think the, the figures kind of bear that out. In some cases, the 830 and 735 are ahead. Uh, in other cases, the 929, 925 are ahead. Um, perhaps the 830 slightly ahead in terms of graphics and the 920, 925, 1020 on the older chipsets slightly faster in terms of raw process of performance but overall I, I would say that the two are roughly equal which I just goes to show progress and you get better value for money this this year that's right I mean we've commented in the past that the s4 is very similar to the snapdragon 400 chipset and that's kind of borne out by these benchmarks um, the, the kind of the, the graphics that are included with the 830 are upgrade it's the adreno 305 versus the 225 and that is reflected in in the kind of the scores and actually you know the the quad core 1.2 gigahertz versus the dual core 1.5 gigahertz you know, you'd look at that and expect the quad core maybe to be a long way ahead but obviously it depends on what you're looking at and so one of the interesting results to pick out maybe is the sun spider javascript result which um, favors the older devices i.e the 920 925 by quite a considerable um, amount actually more so even than perhaps some of the graphics tests um, and so that could also be about, of course, the implementation of the specific platform on the on the device and you know, Internet Explorer and things like that. Um, but 
it also goes to illustrate really well that you can't really look at clock speed and memory amount and kind of pull out a conclusion about performance from that. You know, it, it is complex because of dual core and quad core and all the clock speed, but actually, even if you're doing something directly comparable, it's, uh, it's very difficult. It's not like it was, you know, on desktops and actually the same really is true of desktop now but i think a lot of people looking at benchmarking and maybe 10 years ago would just look at clock speed and things like that um the one note of caution i'd add in all of this is of course this is a a benchmark that is pushing the device to its max in order to make this measurement yeah the vast majority of the time you are not going to be using a smartphone to the maximum (laughs) of its resources and so you know this is why actually most of the time you can't tell the difference really between an 830 and a 920 and more to the point towards a, a 930 there are relatively few tasks on the modern smartphone that really max out the processor. You can can look at things like some of the intensive 3D games, particularly at the higher resolutions, video processing, if you're taking a whole bunch of images one after another. But actually, a lot of those limitations come on the input-output of the, the memory as well as the actual you know, processing availability. Um, you did comment on this in the article, Steve, but it was interesting to see the 1020 does sort of uh, establish its reputation as a, a bit of an outlier in that it was a little difference to the 920, 925, despite having ostensibly exactly the same hardware. Presumably that's down to some of the customizations that were made around, you know, getting in that 41 megapixel camera, the changes that were yeah. made to the imaging or to the whole, you know, that whole processor system on a chip stack. Uh, there are any big differences, but it's just slightly underperforming compared to the 920 or 925. But, uh, yeah, kind of interesting that I, I guess what was a standard device two years ago, is now what's considered mid-tier, so, you know, 920 to 830. Um, and it sort of also suggests that the 925 was a bit long in the tooth and perhaps wasn't as uh, as good value as we kind of talked about at the time, because it's a device I absolutely love the design of, but it feels like it's become outdated quite quickly, particularly when you then put it up against something like the 830, which, of course, is, you know, it's basically a year older than that device. Um, and so... It, plays into all this discussion about which device should you buy and when yeah absolutely okay well do go and look at the article if you're listening to this there's some interesting figures in there i nothing really earth-shaking but it's, it's nice to have at least one utility out there other than a, a sun spider javascript benchmark running in a browser that actually gives me some hard figures for once so you know me i like my hard figures i like my charts and i like my comparisons um talking of comparisons i i rather I kicked up a bit of a storm this morning, Rafe. Uh, as we record this, I put up my camera head-to-head between the Nokia Lumia 930 and the Galaxy Note 4, which I've got in for review for the phone show. Now, the Note- Galaxy Note 4 has got a really rather good um, camera for the Android world, one of the best we've seen. It includes OIS, and I thought, well, there's surely got to be a, a comparison in there somewhere. The tricky thing was um, the Lumia 930 and the 1520, both the obvious things to compare it to, um, both output at 5 megapixels, but you have this underlying, uh, at 16.9 aspect ratio, you have this underlying 16 megapixel image. I thought, ah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put up the, um, the non-pure view, the, the original 16 megapixel images against the Galaxy Note 4's 16 megapixel images, and I can use the nice Rafe Blanford, um, interactive comparator, and then people can compare the two. And, Leaving aside the fact that I'm probably going to have to do a part two of the article using the pure view oversample because people have been complaining it's unfair to 9.30, I still got it in the neck because people thought I was uh, um, the, the Note 4 images were all better. And this is where the subjectivity comes into play, Rafe. This is where I want your comments because 
I looked at all the results from this existing test, and bearing in mind this is the 9.30 before it had even um, oversampled the images. This was the, the effectively the, the raw output of the sensor, not uh, uppercase R-A-W, but lowercase R-A-W. Um, and I, I thought in most cases the 9.30s images were, were more natural, um, and the Note 4s images were over-sharpened and more artificial. Now, Yes, I'm, I'm looking at one-to-one detail in a massive 16 megapixel image, so no one in their right mind is ever going to look down at the one-to-one level. So I'm, I'm being a bit picky here. But uh, people were saying, well, I, the, the Note 4 is obviously superior because it looks brighter and sharper. But it, we've, we've had this discussion for years, haven't we, that, that there's this, this debate, this compromise. Do, do you go for an ultra-natural-looking image, or do you go for one that's enhanced and brighter and sharper and more colourful? And it's a question of what you prefer. It is, and it actually precedes the kind of the age of the smartphone. We had the same thing uh, when you're talking about cameras, you know, how they choose to interpret it, what film you might choose to use. And I think that's a continuation of this. I think it, for the particular scenario you've chosen, I actually think you do need to be looking at the detail and the kind of the one-to-one comparison, if you will, because you have kind of chosen the raw output of them both. And one yeah. of the points about oversampling that people may miss the, the subtlety of it is actually what that does is quite often enhances what the image looks like. And that is, of course, what most people will see because that's the kind of the default output. And so, uh, you know, one part of me said maybe you should have done that, that part first because it would have been a fairer comparison. But that, that kind of bunny ears around the fair is the whole point, really. There is an awful lot of subjectivity in this. I mean, I've long said I prefer a more natural looking image because, you know, that dovetails with what I am actually taking the picture of. Uh, I suspect a lot of it will come down to, you know, what sort of climate you live in, um, what your personal preference is in terms of being able to look back at, at memories. Uh, you know, I think Nokia and obviously it's continued with Microsoft has always come down more on the side of having a natural look, whereas Samsung and some of the other manufacturers, to be fair, um, have all uh, have gone for the more artificial and it's controversial to call it over-processed because I think it's unfair to say it because actually all of these photos are being heavily processed in one way or another but the end result is kind of more those kind of bright vibrant colors and if you took look at the two images side by side most of the time you are going to get people going actually I, I, I kind of like the Samsung um, output and it's not just limited to the Note 4 I mean I think one of the reasons this has been so controversial is because the Note 4 is a step above anything else that Samsung have produced to date and uh, it is one of their best camera phones. But as was, you know, the, uh, I, I first became aware of this. Steve mentioned to me that he was writing it, but it wasn't until I saw a whole load of tweets going back and forth that I realised quite what a storm it had kicked up. And, <laughs> you know, now I, I check into it, it's well over 100 comments already on this article. In fact, it's now 112, and I suspect there's going to be quite a lot more to come. And actually, if you look at it, I mean, I looked through it the first time, and I, I went, actually, the Note 4 look, looks better to me. It's producing more interesting results. Then you look at it in a bit more detail, you start reading through the details of it, and of course Steve, as always, provides kind of the in-depth story behind it, and you go, actually, no, it, it should really be about the, the 9.30, so it will be intriguing to see part part two of this, Steve, if you choose to go there. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, I, I don't know what to say about these camera comparisons in one sense, because people are always going to take sides on them. Um, to, to my mind, I'm still kind of amazed by the fact that they have got to this point in the first place. You know, you only have to go back a few years and, you know, it was, Steve would very happily be writing about the N8 or the 808 uh, device and saying it's way ahead of anything else. And it was. The competition has caught up quite seriously in the sense that 
I just think there's actually diminishing returns at the top end now. You know, yeah. you, you, you make it something better and it's harder to see that difference. I'm not going to fall into the trap of saying it's not possible to make it better because every time you say that, actually something comes out and it's just that bit more accurate or the colour production is, is better. But um, it's fair to say, I think in my mind, the raw output is one thing now. Actually, it's what you then choose to do with it with the camera software is becoming more and more important. It goes back to what we've been talking about in the past about computational photography. But uh, hand on heart, you have to say the Samsung Note 4 has some really fantastic output um, especially if you're looking for something that's, you know, producing photos that will get immediate attention, be really well liked. I would still personally prefer the more natural look just because when I'm taking a photo, I kind of expect to get what's there, not what sort of uh, the cleaned up Photoshop version is, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part two, I think, which I'll hopefully go out uh, tomorrow morning as we record this. So probably before the podcast goes live. So by the time you hear this, you'll be able to go back and look at probably join in the, the hailstorm of comments on that article as well. But that will be the five megapixel um, oversampled version of the 930, the same shots, the oversampled version. And of course, I'm going to have to, to do a one to one comparison. I'm going to have to downsample the uh, Note 4's images to the same resolution, which is a t- kind of doing the, the Note 4 a disservice, but at least it will let people see what the pure view oversampling is all about. So I guess people will have to average the results from both articles in order to get a feel in their heads. But as you say, it is about diminishing returns and both the 930 and the Note 4 and probably the iPhone 6 Plus as well, devices like that, they all produce images that apart from the low light moving subject use case, every other use case is covered and perfectly good enough for 99.9% of users. The the only way you can improve camera phones now would be to A, have a bigger sensor and as you know because of the geometry and the the trend for thinner phones, that's probably unlikely. Um, and also the, the X word, which I'm not allowed to mention on the podcast anymore, or I'll get into <laughs> trouble because that will genuinely improve, you know, shots when, you know, out and about and social. But uh, those are, those aside, yeah, diminishing returns and uh, I hope people enjoy the articles. So certainly I, I, I sometimes worry that I do too many of them and then I get a massive amount of interest and comments. And I think, well, this has got to be good, surely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one thing I would say um, that's probably wasn't immediate obvious when I was reading this article, and I should know better because it's what Steve always does, is actually most of the comparisons are actually blown up sections of just one small bit of the image. And it, it, it's one of these things where you actually look at them um, kind of zoomed in and you suddenly go, oh, that's not very good on the, uh, the Lumia part. You know, it, it kind of feels all artificial. It's because there's a lot of kind of um, enhancement going on in the Samsung imaging. You, know, you can see it around some of the edges and some of the sharpness in particular, I think. But of course, when you come back out again, you actually will see that the Lumia images tend to look a lot more natural. Um, so, I mean, it may be something we need to think about when we're publishing these kind of uh, comparisons, Steve, is actually provide the you know, original image, because that's the one that obviously most people will judge it on. And when I do. Look, they're, in the, they're in the links in the article, if you look. They, they are indeed, but people don't, <laughs> always, uh, don't, don't always look at them. And of course, I'm yeah. being a typical user and just looking through at the images without following up on any of the links and actually having loaded some of the um, originals in the background while we're talking out. So go, actually, yes, I can kind of confirm the fact that I definitely prefer the, the Lumia look and feel. Um, yeah. And actually there is a little bit more detail in them and the color production is better. Um, but as I say, it is a really, really subjective thing. Um, and so I think the other point that's probably worth making is um, a lot of people assume that oversampling is just resampling, you know, the resizing of an image, but actually there's more that goes into the algorithm than just a simple uh, resize this image from 16 to 5 megapixels. Um, 
the Lumiere camera algorithms actually have quite a lot of complexity in them in that they will look at surrounding pixels for example and make adjustments based on that it's not just the kind of the resampling that you can do in you know photoshop or paintshop pro whatever your preferred image program is it's fair to say that in some circumstances it won't actually produce very much that kind of oversampling algorithms aren't a lot different to just a simple uh, resample or resize in an image editor but there are some scenarios where it can be uh, make a, a big difference and so one of the things we might do in in, in a future kind of image article is take a look at that specifically and, and show kind of what's behind the power of those pure view algorithms which is something that's still relatively unique to uh the Lumia devices. There are other devices out there that do it, but I think uh, it's fair to say that the Lumia imaging teams have a lot more experience in creating those algorithms about going from 20 or 15 megapixels down to those 5 megapixel sizes. And it's particularly in the challenging conditions where it comes into its own there. And so, you know, it comes back to it's pretty easy to make a camera phone that uh, can take good pictures in great conditions. It's much more difficult to create a good camera phone in when you're taking pictures in be it low light and actually or varying light or when you're facing into the sun or whatever it happens to be. Uh, And actually, of course, people don't get the ideal lighting conditions they don't think about that most time when they're taking photos professional photographers of course do but you and me and your average consumer will just grab what's in front of them they don't necessarily think about that and that's where the ability of a camera phone to be forgiving about the results and what it's capturing is actually really critically important because it means that nine out of ten photos will come out great rather than five out of ten or four out of ten or whatever it happens to be and honestly it tends not to be that big a difference but of course every time you capture one image where it wouldn't have captured it on another device that's one more memory maybe that you've saved that you wouldn't have otherwise got so it's an important factor and it's worth saying it's not just on the high-end device that applies it also applies on mid-tier devices too yeah now obviously the 930 and the icon of course in america and the 1520 have got this um, pure view oversampling camera the 1020 i guess we, we can consider as effectively obsolete and that you can't really buy it new anymore um, and but the new 830, uh, although it's a mid ranger, doesn't use oversampling. It's still classed as pure view because of the optics and the OIS, etc. But I, I wonder, Ray, very quickly, maybe, maybe you could speculate on whether any future um, high end Lumias from Microsoft will actually use oversampling at all. Will they go down the 830 route of around about 10 meg- megapixels, which seems to be the sweet spot with good OIS and good image processing, or will they actually cons- carry on with this um, 930 stroke 1520 like? 20 megapixel oversampling camera. Any thoughts? I'm, I'm sure they're going to stay with oversampling because you do get better results. And it's one of the things that I think separates uh, the high-end Lumias from the other camera phones. And particularly now they're bringing in this ability to do this kind of rich capture. Having additional information is only going to be helpful in those scenarios. And so, yes, I, I think we can expect to see it continue. I think it will remain on the high-end devices. And, and the 830 is kind of you know, very much a cut down pure view. Um, and it's sort of reliant on sort of the standard algorithms and there's nothing standard about them. It's still incredibly complex stuff. Um, but yes, I would fully expect to see the 950 or the 1030 or whatever happens to be the next one to continue to have that kind of 20 megapixel image or, and indeed more because it, it, it does make sense. Um, it's how you produce the best results. Uh, and it's sort of around the kind of whole limitations of uh, sensor size, pixel size, and all of those things. And it, it, it's a debate that we probably shouldn't get into now. But my view is that it actually produces uh, better photos in more situations. And, and that, for me, is the acid yeah. test. 
Yeah, and you've heard it here first. The um, there was the tweets and the, the comments flying around the blogosphere now that Rafe Blanford on the All About Windows Phone Insight podcast mentioned <laughs> the Lumia 950. So it much it must exist. I <laughs> uh, couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> We're out of time, Rafe. It's nice speaking to you, and uh, we'll catch you next week, of course. It's goodbye from me, and uh, let Rafe say goodbye as well. And it's goodbye from me as well. Thanks, everybody, as ever, for listening. Please send in your feedback and leave your comments on the site.